Welcome to another edition of the Business Brains on the Bottom Line podcast. My name is Paul Delegro, your host. Uh, my next, my guest today is Max Henderson from Pondurance. Welcome to the show, Max. Thank you. Well, Max, to give a little, to listen a little background, you are, uh, you're, an, you're an industry vet in cybersecurity, and uh, but you really focus on digital forensics and incident response. So, I, I like to. People in technology kind of know what you do a little bit, but give a little bit of a definition of what that is, and then we'll kind of expand from there. That that way some non-technical listeners can understand. Yeah, absolutely. I think the easiest way to start with it is, you know, the things you see in the news, hospital getting hacked, right? Getting held yeah. hostage, ransom. Um, that's exactly what we do, right? That's that's the situation that we find ourselves in, running multiple, multiple at a time. Uh, really, our, our focus, though, is to be there virtually used to be boots on the ground now virtually that's that's pretty cool uh really finding out how they got hacked into you know these things you 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 see the hospital is completely offline well that's just the tip of the iceberg usually the hacker was in there for weeks or, or sometimes months prior to that planning their moves working towards you know getting positioning themselves with with very powerful uh usernames and passwords and computers to really pull off and inflict the most damage. So we figure out how they get in. Uh, we help get them out. And then especially on the, the hospital front or anything that has regulated data, figuring out who the victims are, right? What right. what patient's data is accessed? Was it stolen? Was it exfiltrated? Uh, who's the criminal group who's behind this? Attribution is, is huge for us and applying intelligence to that and, and understanding what they're going to do with the info, understanding how they're going to extort it. And then making sure that that we leave the place better than we found it, I think, is key there. Yeah. So, what are the common ways the bad guys get in? I, I know there's like you know, kind of spoofing. You hear all these terms thrown out there: phishing, spoofing. Run through a few of those for us. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's really changed over the years. So it used to be, and it still is prominent. But you get the email attachment, right? Somebody right. opened the email attachment, they ran it, and a program runs in the background. Right. Or they, they convince somebody to give up their username and password to type it in the, the phishing attack. Uh, a lot of the issues now, though, are stemming back to kind of IT best practices. Uh, a lot of times what we're seeing is that something wasn't updated. Right. You get your iPhone, you get your security update and you run that. Well, if you're running an enterprise that really relies on a lot of applications that are on the Internet, anybody in the world can, can send traffic to, to that. Right, the login portal to get into a hospital is on the internet. Somebody in Russia often right. can, can proxy their way through yep. and, and do it. So they're exploiting that, and, and like I said, it kind of takes a few weeks often to uh, to kind of move throughout. But we we always like to to find that point of entry and, and the true root cause. Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen, and you know, our company is a uh, IT consulting company, so we deal with a lot of security. The human factor is the biggest threat vector from everything I've seen and heard between my own you know, research and just my customers, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, <laughs> this just came up in a conference recently. And I mean, in all ways that you look at it, it is the human factor, but people yeah. often think that, oh, it's because the human fell to a phishing attack, right? Well, it's also a human that forgot to update the device for the past two years, right? So no matter yeah. how you tie it back, it's, it's always going to be a, a human mistake. Yeah. So, you know, you hear a lot of what are the, who are the most common targets? Do you think? I mean, I, you, you hear you see a lot of the big ones on TV, like you know, nation state attacks and this and that. But is that changing, or is that 
kind of still prevalent, the most prevalent, I should say? Yeah, I, I think, you know, 10 years ago, there's, there's the term APT, right? Advanced Persistent Threat. And it was almost exclusively the Chinese government, the Russian government, and the US government. Really? And then everything else was commodity. But over time, the skill set over there, and, and really talking about Eastern Europe, has grown exponentially. Yeah. And so what used to be 10 years ago considered only a nation state skill set is now these massive criminal enterprises that are, that are doing it. What about um, all the uh, social media platforms as far as like Facebook and, and TikTok and Twitter and, and, and all the other ones, though, the Instagram, are those threat vectors as well? How does that work? Yes, in a, in a lot of ways. So if you think about the ways that people can reach out to you, and now you're getting into, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of AI. Right. You can use AI to basically pull all information about somebody. So go and collect everything that I need to pull off a fraudulent attack against Max Henderson. And it's going to give you uh, my relatives. It's going to give you the school I went to. And so you can form these messages and and convince them, oh, you went to this middle school, right? And um, and then lead that to a, a trusting relationship where you may convince them to download something or download a link or click on something. So those are vectors themselves. Um, but there's also concerns over, over privacy and, and there's crimes against children and um, all sorts of things. It's just, it's a, another surface area, I think, that, that really just exposes us on a direct level to, uh, to communicate with them. Yeah. So obviously you deal with a lot of a lot of different companies. I mean, what are some of the things customers and users can do to protect themselves? I know that's such a broad answer, but you know, what are you seeing out there and what are the best practices? Yeah, I I think first best practice is, is for the non-technical folks. So understanding that that phishing training and, and all the, the videos that you watch, they're pretty accurate on what you would expect. Um, I actually, you know, I still learn things when I watch those. So sure. uh, latest techniques. But um, the first thing that I tell people is the multi-factor authentication. So not just thinking about protecting yeah. a hospital, but protecting yourself, protecting your bank account, protecting anything that is critical for you to be able to log into, even your social media. You look at how many times have we seen somebody's uh, Instagram get hacked, right? Yeah. Um, in almost all those cases, they don't have that multi-factor on. So whether that's even just texting a code to you or using an, an app that, that kind of generates codes on the fly. Yeah, Authenticator or something like that. Yeah. And we're seeing, you know, those still get bypassed, right? Those, those yeah. still get beat all the time. Well, I, I got to admit, Max, so all my banking, all that stuff is multi-factor now. And I, I, I remember at the beginning, I used to get annoyed by it. No, oh, I got to do it too. Now I'm actually thankful for it, to be honest. I've changed my whole attitude on it. It's like, okay, they're protecting me. I, I get that, right? All my you know, investments, all that stuff is multi-factor. So it, uh, I think people have to change their attitude about that as, and don't look at it as an annoyance, but just the way, the, what we have to do to protect ourselves. So we touched, you touched on it a little earlier. I got to believe AI is going to be a, not going to be, probably is a big part of the bad guy's strategy, right? Getting to accelerate what they do, right? It's gotta be a big big uh, portion of their uh, their strategy. 
Yeah, in, in different ways. I heard an attorney recently, you know, describe AI as, especially ChatGPT, as a sous chef, right? It's not powerful enough to where it replaces the chef, but it does help you prepare everything that you might need. And so related to hacking, I mentioned the fraud side of it, right? And that's yeah. that's scary, but there's skill sets that are very tough to have that AI helps you out with. So one is writing malware code, right? Writing yeah. all these programs, it can save you a lot of time and give you skills that, that you didn't previously have. So I haven't seen it too much on, you know, forming a malware payload through AI effectively uh, that, that bypasses antivirus or anything like that. But you it's never coming. know, right? Coming. It's coming. Yeah. yeah. It's coming. There's I mean, a lot of automation I mean, right now with, with AI and like business email compromises, being able to propagate, know how to, who to target, how to target, and, and the whole back end chain. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is kind of getting off track a little bit. You mentioned chat GPT. I use that all the time. <laughs> I, I, I do like, I'll give you a simple example. Someone sends me an email, a difficult email, and I want to respond to them. And I'm like, oh, how do I respond to them? I've been just plugging in and saying, this is kind of what I want to say. And they kind of wordsmith it and put it in an eloquent form. I'm like, okay, that just saved me about an hour. No, and I, I try to make it sound like I would say it, but the premise of it, uh, I, I'm, I love that tool. Yeah, it's, I personally haven't used it that much. I've watched people use it. But if you're going to use it, double check what it's, what it's oh, yeah. writing for you before you actually send it out. Yeah, I wouldn't just cut and paste. You got to because it makes mistakes, or it says something you may not really weren't trying to say, and so you got you definitely got to correct it. You know, mm -hmm. so so you know in your business, um, obviously you're in the detection and and the uh, and response side of things and remediation all that. What's I always wondered this? What's the percentage of actual detections that really turn into events? And I hope I said that right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say that every case, so we're always walking in, something's happened, right? For, for, me to, yeah. for me to show up, something's happened. And what we always... You're the, you're the fixer, right? You're like in the movies, you're the fixer, but you don't come in with a gun, though. Yeah, I'm Mr. Hindsight, you know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but every matter, there is always something that was missed. There was a trigger, there was a notification, there was some sort of detection somewhere along the lines that either no one's watching or they wrote it off or they just hadn't gotten to it yet because they're too busy. But I mean, it does take time. There, there is, you know, for every, it's easy for me to point that out. Right. But there's sure. also thousands and or hundreds often of, of alerts that are there and they're usually completely irrelevant. I think where a lot of people go wrong though, is in these incidents, they realize something happened and then they're like, oh crap, every alert matters. And so then they start firing on every cylinder trying to... Yeah, you, you, over, you, over, you overcompensate the other direction at that point. Yeah, exactly. And then they find themselves off track and then they exhaust themselves and they can no longer help me <laughs> because they, so, they spent 10 hours on that. You know, and obviously not, not, to give your, not to give your company a shameless plug, but uh, we do business with you guys, a great company. Having a company like yours that manages your that platform for you, so th they're actually managing the detections and the responses and all that. How does that help from a percentage base? In other words, Joe, Joe Smith does it on his own versus hiring a company like yours, like an MDR company like yours. What are the percentages that 
increase the odds of detecting these and remediate them in a better and timely fashion. Yeah, to, I mean to run it in house, it's it's hard, man. <laughs> yeah, I, we know that we. Yeah, twenty four. Yeah. It's kind seven. of a leading question. I think I knew the answer to this one, but <laughs> I, I, it was a leading question because I, I it just big companies that try to do it themselves. It's tough. Yeah, I mean you get into like the Fortune one hundred, they're doing it right, but they, the they big, still the, have they still have yeah. a third party who's helping them out. Yeah. But I mean, it's a, the small and medium businesses. They just it's it's often a catch-22 because some are so small that they don't even have the funds to pay somebody to monitor, right? Yep. And then they also don't have the personnel to monitor. Those are the ones that, that are really tough situations to walk into. Yeah. But by the far, problem, the majority do not have monitoring going on. Right. No, you you know, you raise a good point. You know, we, we sell to the same guys you sell to. And, and, you know, one of the things we get a little leery of is, you know, we try not to focus on the teeny tiny customers they have needs too though but if they don't have an it staff and they just got like someone doubling as a computer guy yeah that's always the case it's it all yeah it's tough I and mean, we we're like do we want to get involved in this because we're going to become their like you know help desk they're going to be calling us 10 times a day for hey the computer's not running or you know a printer's not on or something like that so it's you know you raise a good point these small companies it's they're kind of in between. They really need it, but a lot of them think they can't afford it either until they get hit with something. Yeah, people think, so we talk about, when we go to like insurance carriers and, and law firms and, and trying to understand, you know, what are you capable of? Are you comfortable in a larger company? I, I'm way more comfortable the larger the company is. The worst situation in IR, incident response, is when there is one IT person. And I say, hey, we need to track down this laptop. They say, all right, well, I got to drive four hours today to this office because I'm the only IT guy. Those yeah. are the toughest ones to respond to. Yeah. Anything can happen in four hours, right? Yeah. So how does, how does cybersecurity insurance come into this? Like, how does that, how does that protect the customer? I know, you know, or, or what do the customers have to do to get cyber insurance? Because I know that's the other part of it, too. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, it's really unfortunate when we walk into a ransomware matter and the customer does not have backups and they cannot mm. pay the ransom and they're just stuck in this this catch twenty two again. Where it's and that's where the insurance matters are, are so much easier to work with when we do know that we have that that backing and and you know the carrier and the, the law firms we do this every day. You know, it's, it's easy. We see the same people. So what I would say is that it, it is difficult to get the cyber policies, but if you're caught without one, you are screwed. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't have that ability to recover. You, you just have to pay at that point. Yeah. Or sometimes yeah. the ransom demand is so high, you can't, you can't pay. Yeah. And we've yeah, had tough where they just, with the two IT people, just go and rebuild every single computer. Yeah. So what do you think the percentages of these go unreported? Because no one wants to be in the news, right? Every, it's embarrassing. Um, and, you know, to get your name on the news, never never good. So for ransomware, I, I think I saw a, a talk that the FBI did where they, they found that when they took down the hive, they only knew of 33% of victims because they were able to get the hive's infrastructure and see who the victims were. But... 
on ransomware, most victims are known because they shame them on their wall. They list them. They list them, and it's getting scraped, and there's all these different uh, reporters and websites who are scraping from that and monitoring. So ransomware, I, I think we have a lot of visibility into that. Business email compromise. So somebody get, falls victim to a phishing attack. There's often a, a wire fraud transfer. A lot of those go unreported. That's a big one, I think. I've seen that a lot. I mean, I've just, you know, we've gotten some of those too at our company. And so we have, we have awareness training. So I'm pretty kind of, you know, got my antennas up all the time and anything's even remotely suspicious, I hit the report button. Uh, but, you know, again, you're relying on a human to do that. Yeah. So if if you walk into a matter where a wire fraud was done, they're usually going to report it and because they want the money back, right? Right. If there is just a victim user whose email was hacked and they send out emails, like let's say they send out a thousand emails, people will just change the password. I've walked into many matters where finally that wire fraud does happen. They said, oh, this is our fifth one this year. You know, why, did, why weren't we here before? <laughs> you know, um, this <laughs> all stems from it. We traced it to it. They said, oh, we just thought, you know, it was a phishing attack and we just changed the password. Do you think a criminal just went out of their way to send a thousand emails with no goal? Right. There's a goal. You're not, you're responding. You're playing whack-a-mole to that action right. because it's the only one you see but there's a lot more going on underneath. Yeah. Now, are there, you know, you've been doing this a long time uh, and you're kind of one of the uh, quote, I hate to call people experts, but <laughs> you're an expert, let's face it. Um, what are the new trends out there? I mean, we mentioned a few like, you know, phishing and, and all those types of spoofing, things of that sort. What are the new ones out there? What are the latest and greatest? Yeah, it's, a, it's the same one over and over again. It's in ransomware attacks, it's the IT management tools. So things like Screen Connect from ConnectWise, they're here in Tampa. I see it on probably half my cases. And antivirus thinks it's a legitimate IT management tool and it just lets it go. It's, I, I think I, I just did this research actually. You can do a 14 day free trial with no credit card down and get a backdoor basically. Really? Yeah, Screen Connect. Full, you can remote in, you can upload, download files. Why would, Why do I need to go write this crazy complex malware or pay somebody for their malware if I can just log into this website and get a free one that blends in, that antivirus lets go? It's amazing to me. Now, I will say, I as a responder, I like the uh, logging that it has because it is a commercial tool, so it logs everything. Yeah. Uh, but we're just seeing it's so effective in everything. So if someone, you know, if someone was to come to you and say, hey, man, what, what are the minimum requirements I need to have? What would they be? Yeah, I, I think antivirus EDR is an easy answer, but not just having it, but looking at it. <laughs> well, that, now you're touching on a good, a big yeah. subject where you, you, you can have all the tools you want, but if you're not using them, if you're not deploying, you know, monitoring them, they're no good. Yeah, that's, that's the big thing. All these tools, we've walked into cases where they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on tools and it generated every alert. It did its job, but nobody looked. Nobody logged in. That you have obviously multi-factor authentication. We're having issues with seeing a lot of push to approve. And so if you think about you log into your email, your phone pops up, says, was this you? Press yes, right? That is, that is being abused a lot. 
uh, multi-factor fatigue is, is what they're calling it. Yeah. Uh, and then patching. So a, a lot of these vulnerabilities, you look at Citrix, you look at um, specifically the Netscaler ones, you, you had all these ones going back to, um, I can't, why can't I think of the, the, the component that was within the code? Um, I responded to so many of those. I know it's hit like VMware Horizon View and, and whatnot and the exchange. So all these zero-day vulnerabilities hit, but they're not exploited right away. And there's that time range where they have the opportunity to update and they don't, and then eventually they, they become a victim. I'm looking at things like, you know, logging and is logging enabled? I mean, sometimes it's, I would, I would guess that customers don't even turn that on. Am I accurate on that? There are, so I will give Microsoft credit. They are enabling a lot by default that was not previously, yeah. but that noise level makes logs roll over. So now you're getting more logs generated, but you're not centralizing them anywhere. Right. And then they're just gone. There's a lot of cases that we do where if you don't have, for example, the security log on events, being able to track where that threat actor came from, right. some cases end up inconclusive on, on origin, on root cause, because either they clean their tracks or you don't have the logs necessary to trace it back. Yeah. If they were generated, they just weren't retained. And a lot of these threats are coming from overseas, Russia, China still. And what, do you, what can we do? I mean, okay, I find out it's Joe Smith in, you know, China somewhere. I can't get to him. Once he's got the money and, and nothing you can do, right? All the data, right? It's funny. I just did a, a panel in Beverly Hills, and one of the individuals was sharing how indictments go out all the time, right? And you indict them, and then they're in Russia. That's, that's the common one, right? Well, these people like to travel. They make their money off ransomware. They make it in the winter. And then summer comes around. They're like, let's go somewhere. Let's go somewhere. And there's, there was two couples. Uh, one went to Germany. And he was saying that the wife posted to Instagram that they were in Germany. And they were being monitored. And they came right to that resort. And Unbelievable. Got, what a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mean, another one was in, uh, I think, Switzerland or so or something. Unbelievable! Why would that's just maybe the maybe the wife wasn't involved in that side of the business, though. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> maybe she that's thought right. her husband was an accountant or something, and you know, probably had a public Instagram. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> so, well, you know, I know in, in your nine or ten years at Pondurant, you, you must have seen, you know, a million different cases in all shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. Love to hear about some of the stories and some of the you know either the most ridiculous ones down to the mundane ones but and of course we will keep the names of the companies out of this for uh we don't want to get you fired so uh <laughs> yeah well th there are ones um that have been great experiences working with the people but you know just really complex tactics by the threat actor there's been other ones where the, the customer did us no favors and yeah I, I think the first one that, that you know, is public that Ponderance was involved in was the uh, Hancock Regional Hospital, uh, one that made 60 Minutes. That was you know, very dear, dear to me, taking that 3 a.m. call years ago. And, uh, and really a great episode on there that their, their CEO, Steve, walks through everything that, that he saw in, in the experience. And one of the things that he highlights there is ambulance diversion. 
and not specific to Hancock, what I'm saying right now, but understanding the pressure that you're under as an incident responder to get ambulances off diversion. So it's very common that if we are operating in an incident response and a hospital has been hit, if they're on diversion, there could be 30, 45 minute delays in the county for ambulances getting, getting to hospitals because they can't accept um, anything below whatever it is, severity one, right? And so understanding that, that there are life and death situations is, is really tough to be thorough on your analysis, but also aware that the decisions and the recommendations that I give really, really matter and really could have a life and death outcome. Um, on a much lighter note, <laughs> I've had cases where IT is writing uh, threatening notes to the actor on the desktop, right? And then all of a sudden I see the threat actor get a little bit more dedicated and a little bit more ambitious to uh, kind of carrying out their attack. So um, if you do find yourself in that situation, please do not write notes threatening the, the, <laughs> the attacker. Um, yeah, all you're doing is going to embolden them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these, these are people too. There's, they're criminals. There's often ego involved with those criminals and they're, they're not scared to ramp it up if they have to. Um, but some of the other stories kind of like that when you get, when you're in a pre ransomware situation, right? So they haven't quite pulled off their attack, but they are invested from a time perspective and, and they're on the cusp of getting, you know, their money through that ransomware execution. So if you get there right before they execute and try to push them out, they will fight back. They will try to, to really claw their way through. And, and um, sometimes you can embolden them into early execution, right? So maybe they didn't get to every system, but they're just going to take what they have. So we had one situation where we had mapped it all out. We understood how to take everything down in one fell swoop. And we took it all down. And what happened is that out of nowhere, we start seeing activity again. And I'm thinking, this is impossible. Like we just shut off the firewall. Like there's, there's no network connections. I'm, I'm pinging the server, there's nothing. And what we found out is that all these remote offices had these rogue access points. They had their own Wi-Fi up, right? So the computers were connected to the Wi-Fi in the office, but also connected internally to the network. So they were able to, to hop through and, and give it one more final effort. <laughs> but uh, we were able to repel them on that one. But there's, there's been a lot. Um, others where, uh, on a real technical level, they had uh, malware that communicates out back to the threat actor, right? They have their back door. And what they realized is that the customer was in an incident response scenario. So instead of it just doing a normal check-in with that uh, infrastructure of the adversary, what was waiting was the ransomware executable. So it was a, it was a pretty nifty uh, way that they pulled that off using shell code and, and changing the way that, that it's supposed to receive and execute normal commands. They, they just had the ransomware waiting. And so that was, that was one that was really sped up. Yeah. So for the, for the folks out there that uh, are listening, how long, I mean, normally people come into an organization and they lurk. Is that correct? Yeah. And they kind of go east to west. They be, and you, So how long are they typically in there for before they actually do something? Yeah. So there's usually a change of hands, actually. So I, I think if you look at the enterprise as a whole, there's a lot of different skill sets and a lot of different roles. The criminal enterprise, right? Um, there was one that was just taken down. There's like 150 people involved. And some of those individuals may not even be in the organization. They're, they're, they're essentially thinking of them as a vendor, right? And we call them access brokers. So an okay. access broker, 
their sole role often is to get perimeter access to an organization and then sell it. And that's all they're doing. They're not doing the ransomware attack. They're not doing the lateral movements. That may not even be within their fold as a skill set, right? So sometimes if a access broker gets access and then is trying to sell it, maybe they're not getting the offer they want, right? So they can sit there for months, months and months. Once that changes hands to the individual who's hands on keyboard, it varies. So they're off to the races sometimes within two hours, right? Often, I would say it's about a week to two weeks that wow. they're kind of working their way through. So if you've got the right tools in place, you can detect these folks. Am I accurate on that one? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you know, we in, in just about every matter, we see detections that were fired off that nobody responded to. The best thing that I've walked into is there are the people who have that EDR. And even one with like full licensing, getting full command line processes, connections. And I just walk into my job so easy. Like, oh, look, within this tool, I have start to finish over the past two weeks. Every single command that they ran, when they ran it, how they did it, how they got nice. it. Nice. Yeah. Well, that makes you, uh, that was actually going to be one of my questions is, how, you know, how can your, the customers make life easier for you when you walk in the door? Buy a great tool and don't look at it. <laughs> um, I think having an incident response plan is, is the first action, right? Walking through tabletop scenarios a fake ransomware scenario with your team and say, okay, uh, step one, do this, step two, do this. And this is how we'd respond. This is our out of band communication that we would set up. This is who I'm going to escalate to. This is our messaging internally. This is how, this is who is going to handle, you know, customer communications and employee communications. Um, I think the incident response plan is, is the biggest thing. And then making sure that the audit logs are turned on. Uh, there's ones, you know, Microsoft 365 used to have their, their logs disabled by default. That's changed, but there's still a lot of other components that are not enabled. So those configuration reviews, walking through, understanding that if you have everything, you're in a good position to forensically answer the questions around data, data exfil. That's the key. You know, I think uh, I've seen a big difference in the last, you know, X amount of years that, you know, security used to be, yeah, we don't have the budget for that. Um, let's worry about it later. And then it becomes an issue. But I think that's changing. I think now people are trying to get ahead of the curve and say, hey, let's defend against this. Let's not wait till we get hit with ransomware or some type of a spoofing or phishing uh, attack. Uh, are you seeing the same thing? I mean, you're, you do this every day. I don't. But yeah. what are your thoughts on that? You know, we walk in and, and ask, you know, why, didn't, why didn't you look at this tool before? And they say that. Well, we didn't have the budget. Mm. Look at the checkbooks post-ransomware attack. They are, you have the full attention, you have the executive team, the board ready to buy in because they realize going through that, they never, ever, ever want to do that again. And I hate that people have to learn their lesson that way. Yeah. But um, like I said, with small, small companies, it sometimes is, is a challenge. There is, you know, financial issues there to support it. But being on that side where you don't have insurance, you don't have um, the tools to answer questions or... If you have to declare a massive data breach because you don't have the logs to determine if they took it. I've had cases where I truly, deep down at my core, do not think that the threat actor took you know, this much data. But if there's no logs, the way that yeah. some of these regulations are written, they have to declare. And it's so unfortunate. I, I really hate that situation. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you, you, 
having a blindfold on looking for this can't be can't be a good feeling. No. Yeah. And a lot and a lot do. We'll end on that note. Uh, Max, thank you so much for being on the show. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. This was good. I and I think I had a lot of good stories, and I think uh, the listeners out there are really going to enjoy this. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, that's a wrap for uh, Business Brains in the Bottom Line. Until next time, this is Paul Delegro signing off. Mm-hmm.